Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work as well as work that they love. This episode, we welcome on Pamela D. Arsenault, who is a writer and works at the historic New Orleans Collection. Take a listen. My name is Pamela D. Arsenault, and I'm senior librarian, rare books curator, with the Historic New Orleans Collection. I have a bachelor's degree in history from West Georgia and a master's in library science from Louisiana State University. I am a past recipient of the Lucy B. Foote Award presented by the Subject Specialist Section of the Louisiana Library Association. I'm the author of the Historic New Orleans Collection's 2017 book, an annotated bibliography titled Guidebooks to Sin, the Blue Books of Storyville, New Orleans, with a foreword by scholar Emily Epstein Landau. The Historic New Orleans Collection is a museum, research center, and publisher dedicated to the study and preservation of the history and culture of New Orleans, the Lower Mississippi Valley, and the Gulf South region. The collection is operated by the Kemper and Leela Williams Foundation, a Louisiana nonprofit corporation. Located in the heart of the French Quarter, visit www.hnoc.org for more information. Storyville was a relatively short-lived experiment in the control and containment of prostitution, limiting this activity to a legally described geographical area in New Orleans, roughly from Basin to Robertson and from Iberville to St. Louis streets. The ordinance creating this district took effect on January 1, 1898, and with U.S. entry into World War I, among other factors, the district was closed officially on November 12, 1917. Directories, collectively called Blue Books, listing prostitutes and full-page ads for the better brothels, were issued annually for most of this nearly 20-year period. These prostitution guides, containing advertisements for liquor, beer, cigars, restaurants, venereal disease cures, and other goods and services are discussed and described in detail in my book, Guidebooks to Sin, The Blue Books of Storyville, New Orleans, available through the Historic New Orleans Collection's website, www.hnoc.org, the shop at the collection, as well as local bookstores and online resources. Ernest J. Belloc was a New Orleans commercial photographer who would have probably been lost to history after his death in 1949, but for the posthumous discovery of a large cache of glass plate photographs he made of women who worked as prostitutes in Storyville's brothels. Taken for his private reasons and never circulated as so-called 
French postcards during his lifetime. These haunting images depict unidentified women in a variety of poses and settings. Nude, clothed, erotic, demure, direct, detached. The photographs gained international attention when exhibited publicly for the first time in 1970 at New York's Museum of Modern Art and were collected in the book Storyville Portraits, securing Belloc's legacy. Natasha Trethaway, born 1966 in Gulfport, Mississippi, is a professor of English at Emory University, a two-time United States Poet Laureate, and recipient of the 2007 Pulitzer Prize in Poetry for her collection Native Guard. In her 2002 book, Belloc's Ophelia, Trethaway, a woman of mixed race, explores the feelings and experiences of an imaginary prostitute, a very light-complexioned black woman she has named Ophelia, who lives and works in one of the opulent octoroon or colored brothels of New Orleans' notorious Storyville district. As one who has studied, read, and written on prostitution, Storyville, and the Blue Books, I find these poems give voice to a largely anonymous segment of women and make them, or at least one, Ophelia, come alive for me. I will read selections from Belloxophilia by Natasha Trethaway. The poet reflects on one of Belloc's photographs of a Storyville prostitute that it reminds her of a painting by Pre-Raphaelite artist Sir John Everett Millet depicting Ophelia, a character from Shakespeare's play Hamlet, as she drowns in a river. Perhaps as if to say the young woman in the photo may share the heroine's tragic fate. Belloc's Ophelia, from a photograph, circa 1912. In Millet's painting, Ophelia dies face up, eyes and mouth open, as if caught in the gasp of her last word or breath, flowers and reeds growing out of the pond, floating on the surface around her. The young woman who posed lay in a bath for hours, shivering, catching cold, perhaps imagining fish tangling in her hair or nibbling a dark mole raised upon her white skin. Ophelia's final gaze aims skyward, her palms curling open as if she's just said, Take me. I think of her when I see Belloc's photograph, a woman posed on a wicker divan, her hair spilling over, around her flowers, on a pillow, on a thick carpet. 
Even the ravages of this old photograph bloom like water lilies across her thigh. How long did she hold there, this other Ophelia, nameless inmate in Storyville, naked, her nipples offered up hard with cold? The small mound of her belly, the pale hair of her pubis, these things, her body there for the taking, but in her face, a dare. Staring into the camera, she seems to pull all movement from her slender limbs and hold it in her heavy-lidded eyes, her body limp and dead as Ophelia's, her lips poised to open, to speak. Ophelia, the poet's creation, writes about her situation upon arrival in New Orleans in A Letter Home. Letter Home, New Orleans, November 1910. Four weeks have passed since I left, and still I must write to you of no work. I've worn down the soles and walked through the tightness of my new shoes, calling upon the merchant's their offices bustling. All the while, I keep thinking my plain English and good writing would secure for me some modest position. Though I dress each day in my best, hands covered with the lace gloves you crocheted, no one needs a girl. How flat the word sounds, and heavy. My purse thins. I spend foolishly to make an appearance of quiet industry, to mask the desperation that tightens my throat. I sit watching, though I pretend not to notice, the dark maids ambling by with their white charges. Do I deceive anyone? Were they to see my hands, brown as your dear face, They'd know I'm not quite what I pretend to be. I walk these streets a white woman, or so I think, until I catch the eyes of some stranger upon me, and I must lower mine, a negress again. There are enough things here to remind me who I am. Mules lumbering through the crowded streets send me into reverie their footfall, the sound of a pointer and chalk hitting the blackboard at school, only louder. Then there are women, clicking their tongues in conversation, carrying their loads on their heads, their husky voices, the washpots and irons of the laundresses call to me. Here, I thought not to do the work I once did, back-bending and domestic, my schooling a gift. Even those half-days at picking time, listening to Miss J, how I'd come to know words, the recitations I practiced to sound like her, lilting, 
my sentences curling up or trailing off at the ends. I read my books until I nearly broke their spines. And in the cotton field, I repeated whole sections I'd learned by heart, spelling each word in my head to make a picture I could see as well as a weight I could feel in my mouth. So now, even as I write this and think of you at home, goodbye is the waving map of your palm, is a stone on my tongue. In this poem, Countess Willie V. Piazza the madam of a top-of-the-line brothel on Basin Street provides guidance for success in her house. Countess P's Advice for New Girls Storyville, 1910 Look, this is a high-class house. Polished mahogany, potted ferns, rugs two inches thick. The mirrored parlor multiplies everything. One glass of champagne is twenty. You'll see yourself a hundred times. For our customers, you must learn to be watched. Empty your thoughts. Think, if you do, only of your swelling purse. Hold still, as if you sit for a painting. Catch light in the hollow of your throat. Let shadow dwell in your navel and beneath the curve of your breasts. See yourself through his eyes, your neck stretched long and slender, your back arched, the awkward poses he might capture in stone. Let his gaze animate you, then move as it flatters you most. Wait to be asked to speak. Think of yourself as molten glass. Expand and quiver beneath the weight of his breath. Don't pretend you don't know what I mean. Become what you must. Let him see whatever he needs. Train yourself not to look back. Ophelia describes her new life in New Orleans to a friend in Mississippi in this section entitled Letters from Storyville. Letters from Storyville, December 1910. Miss Constance Wright, 1 Schoolhouse Road, Oakvale, Mississippi. My dearest Constance, I am not out of doors as you feared, and though I've had to tuck the blue wool suit you gave me, I do now have plenty to eat. I have no doubt my decision will cause you much distress, but still I must tell you, when I had grown too weary to keep up my inquiries and my rent was coming due, I had what must be considered the good fortune to meet Countess P., an elegant businesswoman who offered me a place in her house. I did not accept then, though I had tea with her, 
the first I'd had in days. And later, too hungry to reason, I spent the last of my purse on a good meal. It was to her that I went when I had to leave my hotel, and I am as yet adjusting to my new life. This first week I sat, as required, each evening in the parlor, unnoticed, the professor working the piano into a frenzy, a single cockroach scaling the flocked velvet wallpaper. The men who've come have called only on the girls they know, their laughter trailing off behind them, their gowns floating past the balustrade. Though she's said nothing, Countess is indeed sympathetic. Just the other night, she introduced me to a longtime client in hopes that he'd take a liking to me. I was too shy to speak and only pretended to sip the wine he'd ordered. Of course, he found me dull and soon excused himself to find another girl. Part of me was quite relieved, though I knew I could not earn a living that way. And so, last night I was auctioned as a newcomer to the house, as yet untouched though Countess knows well the thing from which I've run. Many of the girls do, too. Some of them even speak of a child they left behind. The auction was a near-quiet affair, much like the one Whitman described. The men, some wealthy gentlemen from out of town. Countess announced that I recite poetry hinting at a more dignified birth and thus a tragic occasion for my arrival at her house. She calls me Violet now, a common name here in Storyville, except that I am the African Violet, for the promise of that wild continent hidden beneath my white skin. At her cue, I walked slowly across the room, paused in strange postures until she called out, Tableau vivant, and I could again move. All this to show the musical undulation of my hips, my grace and my patience, which was to mean that it is my nature to please and that I could, if so desired, pose still as a statue for hours, a glass or a pair of boots, propped upon my back. And then, in my borrowed gown, I went upstairs with the highest bidder. He did not know to call me Ophelia. Ophelia comments upon her colleagues in another letter. Letters from Storyville, February 1911. The girls here are of a country sort, kindly and plain for the most part, with simple desires, 
not unlike myself or those girls I knew at home. They like best, as I do, the regular meals warm from the cooks in our own kitchen, the clean indoor toilet, and hot water bath. We like, too, the perfume soaps and fine silk gowns we wear in the evenings. During the day, we dress as we like, silk wrappers at breakfast, though now many of the girls wear their underclothes about the house. They tease me, but gently, for my proper clothes and the quiet way I take my tea afternoons in the parlor. It is then that in my gestures I see your long fingers fanning out in excitement as you speak, not the coarse digits of my own hands after a season in the fields. Perhaps then I do put on a bit, trying to raise my station. Just the other day, I was sullen and spoke too quickly at them, my tone harsh. You are what you look like, I said, thinking it might cause some change in their manner that they might see to carry themselves as ladies do. I bit down hard on my tongue at the sight of their faces. Fair as magnolias, pale as wax, though all of us bods in this fancy colored house. In this poem, the poet reflects upon one of Belloc's most recognized images in this poem. Photograph of a bod drinking Raleigh rye. E.J. Belloc, circa 1912. The glass in her hand is the only thing moving, too fast for the camera, caught in the blur of motion. She raises it, toasting, perhaps the viewer you become taking her in, your eyes starting low at her feet and following those striped stockings like roads traveling the length of her calves and thighs. Up then, to the fringe scarf draping her breasts, her heart locket, her bare shoulder, and the patch of dark hair underneath her arm, the round innocence of her cheeks and Gibson girl hair, then over to the trinkets on the table beside her, a clock, tiny feather-backed rocking chairs poised to move with the slightest wind or breath, the ebony statuette of a woman, her arms stretched above her head. Even the bottle of rye is a woman's slender torso and round hips. On the wall behind her, the image again, women in paintings, in photographs, and carved in relief on an oval plane. And there, on the surface of it all, a thumbprint, perhaps yours? It's easy to see this is all about desire, how it recurs. Each time you look, it's the same moment, the hands of the clock still locked at high noon.
In this section titled Storyville Diary, the brothel inmate, Ophelia, records her impressions and events as she continues to work and live at Madame P's. She meets photographer Ernest Belloc. Storyville Diary, Belloc, April 1911. There comes a quiet man now to my room, Papa Belloc, his camera on his back. He wants nothing, he says, but to take me as I would arrange myself, fully clothed, a brooch at my throat, my white hat angled just so, or not. The smooth map of my flesh awash in afternoon light. In my room, everything's a prop for his composition. Brass spittoon in the corner, the silver mirror, brush, and comb of my toilette. I try to pose as I think he would like. Shy at first, then bolder. I'm not so foolish that I don't know this photograph we make will bear the stamp of his name not mine. Here, Ophelia poses for Belloc, dressed up in her finery, and mentions the famous directory of madams and prostitutes in New Orleans' Storyville. Storyville Diary, Blue Book, June 1911. I wear my best gown for the picture, white silk with the seed pearls and ostrich feathers, my hair in a loose chignon. Behind me, Belloc's black scrim just covers the laundry. Tea towels, bleached and frayed, drying on the line. I look away from his lens to appear demure, to attract those guests not wanting the lewd sights of Emma Johnson's circus. Countess writes my description for the book. Violet, a fair-skinned beauty, recites poetry and soliloquies. Nightly, she performs her tableau vivant, becomes a living statue, an object of art. And I fade again into someone I'm not. The poet pictures the activity, the bustle, and perhaps an inner reverie as her Ophelia sits for another portrait. Vignette From a photograph by E.J. Belloc, circa 1912 They pose the portrait outside the brothel, Belloc's black scrim, a chair for her to sit on, she wears white, a rhinestone choker, fur, her dark crown of hair, an elegant image, one she might send to her mother. Perhaps the others crowd in behind Belloc, waiting their turns, tremors of laughter in their white throats. Maybe Belloc chats, just a little, to put her at ease while he waits for the right moment, 
A look on her face to keep in a gilded frame the ornate box he'll put her in. Suppose he tells her about a circus coming to town, monkeys and organ music, the high trapeze. But then she's no longer listening. She's forgotten he's there. Instead, she must be thinking of her childhood wonder at seeing the contortionist in a sideshow. How he could make himself small, fit into cramped spaces, his lungs barely expanding with each tiny breath. She thinks of her own shallow breath, her back straining the stays of a bustier, the weight of a body pressing her down. Picture her face now, as she realizes that it must have been harder every year, that the contortionist, too, must have ached each night in his tent. This is how Belloc takes her, her brow furrowed as she looks out to the left, past all of them. Imagine her a moment later, after the flash, blinded, stepping out of the frame, wide-eyed, into her life. Pamela Arsenault, Senior Librarian, Historic New Orleans Collection, reading selections from Natasha Trethaway's Bullock's Ophelia. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 1 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.